Welcome to the Curious Creators Podcast, the place which allows you to explore your imagination, creativity, and listen to expert insights from the world of art and design. Welcome. This is part of the Curious Creatives, and there's myself, Karen Heald, and I've invited Lal Davis into the studio. And Lal's going to just give us a little bit of background, first of all, on to how she started out, talk about emergent practice, and then talk about what she would like to do in the future. And so we're going to have an impromptu conversation, really. So welcome, Lal. Thank you. So how did I start out? I think... Words and pictures have always been my bag, really. And I did a fine art degree, but it was actually a combined degree. So I did fine art and English literature. And there was always a lot of crossover between using text and words in my image work and vice versa, wanting to sort of paint pictures with words, if you like. And I sort of never really resolved that. I think in those days, multidisciplinary practice wasn't so much of a common thing as it is now. So I think it was sort of really the idea was that you should choose so painting was my kind of visual art practice at that point but it wasn't really until a sort of chance encounter with film that kind of a light bulb moment went off in those days film wasn't really an option you know i don't think it was ever something i thought about or that was mentioned as a possibility to try or whatever so although i enjoyed watching film and analyzing film and so on it wasn't something that seemed open to me to be able to make film and that we're talking like pre-digital so therefore film was a very expensive option and whilst there were video artists and so on that wasn't really in my sort of making background And it's quite interesting that as well, because my background is in visual arts and I started off with the painting aspect, but then got sucked in with the film as well, you know, and I think there's um, a very interesting dynamic between film and painting anyway. And the fact that you use text and you've got a narrative and there's so much you can do with film as well. Yes. Earlier I did photography on foundation course and I did that here in Wrexham. And there is a big crossover between looking for that composition in a film shot and, you know, obviously you do the similar thing in, mm. in a still shot as well. But yeah, a chance encounter with a BBC workshop for being able to use digital technology. And this is back in... 2001 so we're talking 20 years ago now where the tools of digital technology were more available to people and they were basically giving people the chance to make their own stories and I literally did have that light bulb moment of Mm. like ah right this is words and pictures and sounds a way of putting those together and so film just became the thing and it is that montage isn't it I always think of when I'm editing a film it's almost like words because if I put a full stop or I put a comma or I change the paragraph it's no different to me than if I'm working with film you know that pause that tone it's that visual narrative that you get and the fact that film encompasses not only text but sound yeah and I I think as well because you have all of those layers available to you and like you say editing regardless of what you're editing whether you're editing text or whether you're editing film or whether you're editing photographs you're making decisions aren't you it's Mm. about selecting it's about literally the lens that you're looking at Mm. something through and you might in a sort of research phase you might be looking at a lot of things and then it's distilling down as to always you know what am I trying to say what am I trying to get across 
But I think my filmmaking then took a very particular turn because I ended up being offered a job then by the BBC after doing that workshop with them and making a short film which was broadcast on BBC. And they were doing a very particular type of first-person narrative and they wanted people to go and work in communities and hear hidden stories and so on and, and getting people to use their voices to tell their stories in their own words. So... For quite a long time, then I was running like a community studio in Wrexham for the BBC and getting people to actually come in and create content. And it was right at the beginning of that wave of co-creation, I suppose. So in the beginning, you know, our producers were sort of saying things like, hey, you know, go and test this new mobile phone that can take like pictures and, (laughs) you know, just go and shoot video on it because we're wondering what will people senders how would they use it to contribute to the news and that kind of thing and obviously like fast forward to now you know we're in the tiktok generation people making their own content so the beginning of my career with that was that trajectory from Mm. from thinking how would people start to be able to create their own media to what we have now so it's been quite an interesting trajectory so i spent four years pretty much working with the bbc and then freelancing for them for a little while afterwards and another big part of what I did was as a a regional producer for Video Nation so training people to use the kit go off and record their stories and then bring them back so all of that sort of ethics around working with other people's stories but being very present in the process but quite invisible in the end product because it's still their story and it's it needs to come from them almost in a way opposite to journalism I suppose After leaving the BBC, I could see the potential for taking that into communities and to work in either education or social justice or heritage and and working with groups of people who organisations might have a need to help them to hear their voices. So I did a lot of work like that over the next 10 to 15 years, I suppose. I will always want to work with people in that way, but I realised that I wasn't telling stories of my own. Mm. And it had become very second nature to not do that much anymore. In the end, it got to the stage where I thought, I don't know if this is actually serving me and I don't know if it's even serving the people that I'm working with anymore. Because although you give a lot of yourself in that process to enable somebody else to open up and tell their stories and, and then you facilitate the telling of them, so you do give in that way. But I really just felt the need to create a space for myself to actually look at, if I was my own community filmmaker, what would I have to say? And it's interesting because it's in an era of very socially engaged practice, very prevalent now, and there's lots of issues going on. But in a way, those are cycles that come round as well. You talked about starting in 2001, and it was a very, very different space then. The fact that now BBC are using TikTok as well. What was the pivotal moment that you decided to go back to postgraduate studies? I could just see that it was more possible again. I'd, mm. I'd done my degree a long time ago, wanted to do my MA, and then basically pretty much you know, had to work and sort of couldn't necessarily fund it. I became aware that that possibility then was still there for me, mm. I suppose, mm. and that actually by doing something alongside my own established practice and especially with it being a part-time course I could see that that's something where I could carve out some space for myself in my own practice still continue my established practice and work and do all the things that you have to do family life and all the rest of it but it would give me somewhere to to be and somewhere to explore Mm. some of those ideas and somewhere where I could just consider okay you know who am I in that process 
if I'm not commissioned in a very particular way, then what do I have to say? What are my themes? What are my concerns and things that I would want to make films about? And whilst I've been lucky in my established practice to be able to select certain commissions that I, maybe it's an issue that I'm very close to or it's something that I care about a lot. And I've always tried to only take work that really means something to me and would advance a conversation. So I've never done commercial work or, or that kind of thing. So I've been lucky to be able to do that and sometimes I've been poor mm-hmm. <laughs> as a result of doing that. But yeah, I just wanted to reposition myself. I think I'd lost the concept of me being an artist in that. Mm. I definitely was a filmmaker and an established filmmaker, but I felt like I'd travelled a long way from having done a fine art degree and I just wanted to sort of see what more artist moving image and that, that kind of practice might open up for me, I suppose. So talking about this emergent practice that's coming out, do you want to expand on some of the ideas that you're working with now, some of the ways that you're trying to use the media to um, articulate that language? So I I talk about it in the way of having an established practice and an emergent practice. And I think the root of both practices, are they are rooted in the same genre in a way. So the starting point is what I refer to as first-person narrative. And how I use that with other people's stories or with my own is that You're using the I pronoun, you're using your own voice, you're talking about things that either perhaps have happened to you or they're they're things about your own life that you want to communicate. So it's a sort of starting point for both practices, really. Mm. So some of those themes are, there's a fledgling multidisciplinary practice. That interest in combining words and pictures is is still there but I'm also trying to see the ways in which you can do that because obviously you do it in film but I'm also looking at how do you put text into images and where where are the sort of common points I also write poetry as well so I wanted to look at ways of kind of you know creating another kind of visual language really so in terms of the aesthetic of it and also some of the issues that you're dealing with in your own work, do you want to talk about those a little bit more? I mean, a lot of the work that I tend to find myself making is rooted in a particular sort of landscape. And I have done a lot of work in my established practice on race and representation. So given that I'm, I'm a mixed race woman myself, I've done a whole big photographic series, for example, which is called Like for Like, which is about my own need to see other brown and black faces in a largely white population. So it's about some of that kind of need for representation, I suppose, and looking to see where do I see myself represented or reflected. I've also done quite a bit of work around a continuation of that theme, really, I suppose, what what my position is in the landscape, because there is a perception that actually black, Asian, minority, ethnic people are very much more visibly different in the landscape than they might be in an urban setting. But as somebody who's lived in both settings and, and grown up in sort of both settings, but now much more firmly rooted in the rural, how does that work for me? How is that perceived? What What is my position within that? And some of those things are rooted in having had fairly harrowing experiences of rural racism as well. 
But I've just done an artist residency as well, which is to do with climate change and climate emergency. And that was working very hyper-locally. And you were asked to work within your square mile. For that particular residency, there were eight of us across Wales. To open up those conversations as well to people from communities that maybe are marginalised. And so obviously, as having been somebody who has worked with many marginalised communities, and yet I actually effectively come from a marginalised community myself, it's about opening up those spaces and bringing those voices into into things like climate emergency and so on. These are really two significant topics that you're dealing with as well, aren't you, in terms of race and the minority and also the climate situation we've got at the moment, especially with COP26 as well. So... Since you have started, there's been more of a diversity in terms of television and you wonder how long that will last. You know, you wonder whether it might be two years and then it filters out. Have you noticed a change in um, visibility of more people of colour, more marginalised people um, recently? Or, you know, have you seen patterns like we talked about before where there's an upsurgence and then it dies out? As a person of colour, I think you do always see cycles of Mm. awareness come and go. I think one of the differences this time is that there's a better sense of awareness that this is not just the responsibility of people of colour to talk Mm. about, but actually white people have a sense maybe of allyship, and that notion of allyship can be very inclusive in terms of, like, this is something we can all talk about. It doesn't just have to be you know, oh, this is only my issue and therefore, it, you know, yeah. th- it's a, that it's a conversation we can't have. I think it's difficult. I think that there are, historically, in our institutions, there are very many barriers to having conversations around that, but those difficulties can be overcome and it's only by having dialogue and conversation that we can open those spaces. I find it's different myself, you know. Um, I think the last year or so it seems very more proactive you know than it's been before and like you say it's really important that people can have those difficult conversations because that's where progress is made isn't it yeah or the start of things to happen and i suppose if you if you look on the other aspect with climate change as well i know there's been a lot of disappointment about maybe what's been achieved what do you think can be achieved on within that square mile so on a very local as opposed to big governments, big businesses getting together? I think what the aspiration was, was that National Theatre Wales and Natural Resources Wales, who were the commissioners, very much wanted to kind of create a patchwork of snapshots with artists across Wales to sort of see what was happening in that hyper-local space. But I think there's an understanding that by looking very closely at the micro, you get a sense of the macro, you get a sense of that global level. I think also there is a better understanding that actually one of the driving forces of climate emergency has been colonialism. Mm, mm. And actually, these things are not isolated issues now. So where we're at a point where we're assessing how our institutions are funded, when we're looking at things like whether to take down statues, whether to reinterpret them, these issues are not just over here, this is about institutionalised racism and then this is about climate change. Mm. Those forces, colonialism, have affected and driven climate change. Though you can't see the visuals, but we'll put the link up for you as well, you'll actually be able to hear some of the things with us being on the podcast. So I'm just going to let you listen to that for the time being.
As a mixed-race tenant farmer of South Asian and Southern Irish heritage, I think about my Irish great-grandfather at this moment of gathering. Like so many others, he was driven away from his tiny Connemara farm during the Irish potato famine caused by British colonialism in the 19th century. He never farmed or had horses again, and I'm the first in my family to do so since those days. I count this small victory for all of us driven by colonial forces. That is fantastic. So I hope everybody listening there got a sense of what Lyle's been talking about, even though it's very much an auditory sense, but hopefully it's given you some pictures in your mind. We had a national sharing of that last week and they will look to kind of share those. Natural Resources Wales, it's like we realise that artists can maybe look at things in a completely different way that we as environmentalists or scientists or whatever just wouldn't look at them in that way. It's drawing out those dialogues from people, isn't it? Drawing out those connections and looking at it from a post-colonial aspect. It's also about acknowledging what's happened and what's been done. Lots of people have said that's been really important, you know, to that acknowledgement and then moving forwards, isn't it? But you have to acknowledge and have those difficult conversations. The fact that you're talking about actually bringing um, maybe to what appear to be quite divergent themes going on actually you're making those connections you're you're finding those threads subtleties and actually some overt things that you can see from it as well yeah one of the things that we have talked about a lot on the ma about Mm. this idea of creative research and working in a sort of transdisciplinary way with other sciences and so on that commission was all couched in the terms of that you would develop an inquiry question and that you were doing research and that that research wasn't necessarily conclusive. Then there was a participatory element as well, that they wanted you to engage with people within that square mile as well. And and, it, and that was really interesting because I could see that what was being talked about in theory here on the mm-hmm. MA, actually mm-hmm. in practice, there is a creative organisation, national level, and a non-creative, you know, environmental resources organisation, national level, and they are talking about it in that way. They, mm. have, they set up that commission in that way, that you would conduct research in the field, mm. basically, mm. which is really, really interesting. Mm. So in terms of how you might perceive the work, and, and I think it's also, like you say, really important with artists, I think in conjunction with working with other people as well, I think it's when you're on the edges of something, actually, you can get really exciting things happening because artists can come in with a different viewpoint. They can be scientists or environmentalists. They're coming from their perspective. And I think when you almost get that interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary practice going on, there can be a real excitement and a need for change as well. And when you think artists have taken a lot of research methods and social sciences, actually this might be a way that artists using their creative practice can actually evolve that as well. So if you think about the things that you're going to make as the emergent practice, and you talked about the process as well, how might you start to think about how being visualised? You're doing some projects now anyway, aren't you, which have been funded. So, so maybe talk about what they appear and what you're trying to communicate with the audience. And also in terms of what the future is of where you want to go with them as well. What it is really for me and what I'm sort of engaged with is trying to see where the key differences are and where there is also a hybrid model between that established practice because another part of that practice is documentary making. So actually the real challenge for me on this recent 
artist residency was because it actually still involves a bit of participatory work as well. It would have been really easy for me to just do it from my established practice, but I did really want to use the opportunity, but particularly as it was officially an artist residency, to still position myself more in that work, even if not completely central, because I was also working with other people. But how would that be different from what I would normally do, where I would probably just do a community film project and, you know, mm. I would work with the school and I'd work with community gardeners. And I did still do that, but I really needed to find a new model. So all the time there was a sense of genuine sort of difficulty, actually, mm. of breaking new ground. And it was only really by sort of using those research techniques, by just trying to stay open to not having a preconceived idea about what the work might look like at the end, and just being open to what those, the, letting the themes come out of the work and being prepared to have some starting points and then feel that actually by going through the process of making that I might end up in a different place and that would be okay. And I have to say that the commissioners were fantastic at supporting, mm. you know, continually restating their commitment to allow us the creative freedom to do that. We had regular, well, weekly catch-ups with the other artists as well, where we could kind of, you know, check in with each other's work. And I think everybody, genuinely, to have that much freedom, it's quite rare. But there's a, it's an interesting correlation between the same thing that you have on the MA as well, mm. because obviously you have, effectively, complete creative freedom, um, which can be quite daunting in a way to see, you know, I could go anywhere I choose. <laughs> and sometimes it's like difficult to take even a step um but yeah that that's kind of the the central thing of what i'm doing is where is the difference for me in the in working with a group of people and their stories and being present in that process and making film as a result of it and how is that different from doing something that might end up in a gallery or doing something that might be shared at a national level or screened but it, the emphasis is different. And it's that's ongoing. <laughs> it's mm. still continually restated. But I think now that I have I have made that, that shift, I think I know now firmly what my established practice is and where my emergent practice can go and where it is going step by step. But it's something that I think a lot of these things, you do tend to look back over your shoulder and think, oh, that's where I was going. <laughs> when I look at your work, there's layers there's montage going on you know there's transparencies there's sometimes kinetic typography there's but almost like fixed focus you know in terms of the way the film has been set or the use of photography the use of handwritten text sometimes and sometimes it's variable what about the tone and the presence do you think comes across within the works? I've just made a piece of film just lately. I received a, a bursary in professional development programme, which has been fantastic, and that has enabled me to work on making a film which is really an experimental film as a container then for this body of poetry work that I've written. And some of the shorter pieces are handwritten, so they actually appear on screen, so you're looking at say a landscape or, or whatever and then you actually you actually read that poetry as it appears on screen but for the, some of the longer pieces I felt like it was really important that they were voiced because that's very much more difficult to read for that length of time and concentrate on the writing 
And initially, because I use a lot of first-person narrative, I hadn't really considered using somebody else's voice for that work because I, I felt like it would be maybe a slightly odd departure, I suppose, from using my own voice. Like many people, I don't, I don't particularly care for the sound of my own voice. Not many people do. But it, I've got very used to it. So, I mean, I, I, it wasn't so much that. But I think I really wanted to experiment with using somebody else's voice to read the work because the speaker of the poetry is not always me. So as it happened, another artist on this residency, this came about completely coincidentally, I, I met and then we were talking in one of the breakout rooms and all of a sudden I could hear my poetry in her voice and obviously having filmed and interviewed and made audio stuff with so many people over the years, I'm used to what somebody's voice sounds like and so on. I've never quite had that experience before. And I thought, actually, if anybody was going to read that poetry, she has got the perfect voice for it. So I just reached out to her afterwards and said, you know, would you be interested? Uh, luckily, she was. So that's been a really interesting thing to do, to work with somebody else, to hear them reading that poetry and use it in, in the film. And I think from the sort of initial feedback that I've had, that's been pretty successful. The land of homeless feelings is a rich and surreal place to travel. It is best to name and map them as I go through the terrain and every so often it's best to drop all my storylines and let them go. The evocativeness of the voice, the lyricalness of the voice as well that you've chosen, the person who's reading it, it's quite moving. It does emote lots of different memories. It takes you to different spaces and places. The longer film is still in production, but I curated a shorter version of it for a specific themed show, and it was selected for that show. It's where I think that level of collaboration and where you start to work with other people and as I say I've worked with other people so so often but to do it in that different way where it's still something that's so personal to me um, but it, it just gives it another life. What I'm quite interested in you also talk about reframing because you talk about you've curated and edited it down to a smaller piece so can you just talk to me about what happens when you're taking a longer piece which has been shown maybe somewhere you're you're changing it and you're taking it to another space whether it's another gallery or whether it's a film festival what happens in the process it's a really interesting question because there's a number of different ways that that can happen. I mean, sometimes when you've made a longer piece of film and then, for example, you make a trailer. I've done it a couple of ways. I, traditionally, I would always make the longer piece first and then make the trailer from the longer piece. But sometimes it depends on the timing. Sometimes you have to make the trailer first, which is always a bit more odd, and then make the longer piece. You're then thinking about audience and why it is that you were making a shorter piece. So, for example, on this Land of Our Children residency, I've made a trilogy of films that are longer, and I wanted to get away from short format because that's what I've used very much. So I've made longer format, and the trilogy in itself is around about an hour. Um, but for a national screening and sharing event, it needed to be 15 minutes, and I wanted to give a flavour of each trilogy because in each trilogy I had worked with a different group of people 
and in in one the central piece of it was just my artist response to it so i wanted to be able to give a coherent sharing of that to people who maybe wouldn't see the longer pieces but for them to still get a sense that they were taken from three different related pieces so i think it really just depends what you were doing it for with the show for the film which is called belong belonging belonging that was curated to a particular word in welsh which is hiraith it's a very sort of hackneyed word in a way but it, it does have this sense of longing and place and nostalgia and looking back and a sense of home so I chose from the longer pieces of film the poems which reflected that. So, I mean, in, 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 that was quite a literal, straightforward way of editing and deciding how to make a shorter piece. But this, this thing for the national screening last week was a bit more, right, I really need them to have a sense of each of those three pieces. They work as standalone pieces, but now they need to work together. And I've got a time limit. As we're coming to the end of this podcast now, I'd just like to ask Lal, what's next really and and how you think you're going to take this forwards? Through the work that I've been developing through the MA and then taking out to artist residencies and with the bursary programme and that kind of thing, is that I'm trying to develop a new language for myself, a kind of container for artist moving image and for combining those words and pictures in a slightly different way. And then I, I have got a kind of piece of work which I would like to develop into a sort of multidisciplinary installation, I suppose, which has a sort of film at the centre of it and that is maybe kind of like a space that you would walk into and experience the film audio and also want to make a book of the poetry and possibly look at something like text installation as well um so it's i suppose it's building prototypes for the methodology of how i would how i will do that and then that particular piece of work will probably be a different concept and i'm thinking that it'll probably be something to do with post-colonial narratives from my own family story. So once I've kind of brought a few of these projects now to fruition, then that's kind of where I feel like I'll be heading next for the MA, but also then for, you know, some of the outer commissions that I'm working on as well. That's um, really interesting, both in terms of coming from that hyper-local and expanding it out into the global and your family history and, and, and background, but also in terms of one thing just picked up there is you talked about it almost like being in an interior space and when a lot of the work has been rural, you know, and exterior. So I'm just wondering if you have any sort of space, you know, that this installation might sit, you know, is it um, a sighted space? outside that people can go into i would imagine location would be quite important you know in terms of this you might not have the answers to this at the moment you know because something that's it's in the future it will be developed but i'm just wondering have you any sites either for where you might film or where you might bring the film to and the installation these films that i've just made for land of our children actually because they are site specific one of them will be screened on a tree in a mm. field one of them's going to be screened across a maze field and I might look to use one of the barns for another one. So I am really interested in that. But having film in unexpected places, 
I suppose the ideal would be really that it would be something that could lend itself to different spaces, whether it is interior spaces or exterior spaces. There are some locations that are very specific to that story because it's about my family's journey from South India to Wales. So yeah, it's a big theme, it's a big piece of work and there are locations that are specific to it. So we'll just have to see what the conditions for global travel are like exactly. by then. Exactly, you know, and we're saying this, you know, uh, when things are just starting to open up, but they're yeah. not fully open as well. Yeah. So I'd just like to really thank Lyle so much for coming in, for talking through her practice, all the themes and issues that she's dealing with, and wish her every look for the future as well. Uh, been a pleasure talking to you, Lyle. And you, Karen, thanks yeah. very much. Thank you very much very much thank you if you've enjoyed today's discussion don't forget to follow this podcast for free on your podcast app of choice and avoid missing out on any future panel discussions keep up to date with us via social media at art design wales and we will see you next time